What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about the case of Aziz Ansari. How are you, Carl? Uh, I'm all right. Made very poor sleeping decisions this past weekend. And so I am certainly sleep deprived today. But hopefully that won't screw up this podcast. Gotcha. How are Um, you, Jake? Yeah, I'm doing all right yeah i think sleep deprivation is real for me as well um but having a little more energy than i'm used to on a monday so (laughs) it's not the worst thing in the world today we're going to talk about the case of aziz ansari do you have any kind of initial thoughts around that carl i know the day that i heard the news identifies asian american in some circles and kind of sort of loosely following aziz's career knowing that he seems to be like a good example and a good representation of our community, particularly of Asian American men. It just sucked when I read the babe.net report because it was so incongruent with the way that he constructed himself. You know, it's just so incongruent with my expectations of him. Um, so, yeah, it was really disappointing when I first heard the news break of him doing the things that he did. That was definitely my first reaction. You? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess for me, it. I was also disappointed because it was Aziz for me was almost like this comedian that I thought was a little better than other comedians. (laughs) And so me being this like nerd or having an interest in comedy, I was like, cool. Like Aziz is a little more aware, a little trying to be a better man, trying to be a better person. And I think he tried to show that through his comedy. And then reading this article and then watching the videos associated with the article by babe.net by Katie way. I really understood the hypocrisy of of what these aware or woke quote unquote men exhibit. I struggle with that a little bit, I think. Um after reading the story, like I guess just out front, I one hundred percent believe the survivor. That's just a non negotiable point for this particular podcast, right? Right. The way that the survivor describes the incident is absolutely going to be the best description of the incident. I think I struggle a little bit with just the one side completely writing off Aziz as a character, as a person. And on the other side, I completely disagree with I mean, there's a shit ton of victim blaming and everything that's out there. And that's also unacceptable. And so I'm really hoping that this particular podcast will help at least bring in the nuances. So I think we're going to start with the timeline to get on the same page with everybody. I'm going to talk about some of the general public reaction to it. And I think that's going to carry us to like trying to figure out the ways we can hold each other as men accountable and figure out what to do with the story. Mm -hmm, For sure. So first, before we dive into this content that we find that is pretty triggering, uh, we'd like to just kind of give y'all a warning. If you find this, any of this language to be harmful for yourself or others, consider taking any measures for self-care, whatever that means to you. Or don't listen. Or don't listen. Turn off this podcast. <laughs> whatever you need to do to really practice self-care and help yourself out is totally cool. Yeah. And I don't think we'll talk explicitly about like the recounting of her story, but there right. are points of it that we have to talk about because a general population talks about it, right? So you'll hear things like I'll probably refer to blowjobs or like some sort of description of how the incident went down so that we can't talk about it. But I don't think we'll go explicitly into like her story. For sure. Just to give you a general timeline on this is that this article was um, 
produced by babe.net by katie way um if you have not read it i would definitely strongly suggest reading it just good information to have and very educational as well and it basically kind of starts out with the life of the survivor and aziz interacting at the emmy awards in 2017 and then they kind of notice each other and start talking and then that escalated into asking for a phone number and for aziz asking the survivor's phone number and then going on a date and then some basically a lot of non-consensual acts were made throughout the date and then after speaking with the survivor this post was identical to the post that was shared when aziz received the master of none golden globe award as he was doing this he gave he had a times up pin on his suit yes on his suit (laughs) at the red carpet and so even seeing that has kind of labeled it for me as just how Aziz was working in this very hypocritical way. Did you want to talk about any general reactions to that? Yeah, there's a ton out there in terms of reactions. And so if you go to the same babe.net, they publish his full statement in reaction to the accusation and there you'll find comments. And so I pulled most of like what my reactions are from that particular comment section. And there's a bunch that I want us to talk about before we get into some of the accountability stuff. And so one of the most predominant reactions is targeting this person who's named Grace, which is a fake name in the article, but they say a lot of things around the lines of she was naked and he gave him two blowjobs. Like, what does she expect? There's a lot of, if you're in a man's apartment and naked, then you have to expect that he's going to try to have sex with you. This particular point around, if you go down on a man, then how is that not a yes? Right. So one of the things that I sort of took away with, and it's mostly men who really emphasize the fact that she went down on him twice. That apparently is an obvious yes and can't be sexual assault. If she does that. So my question to you, Jake, is do or does your standard traditional dude hold in higher regard or hold higher value to getting head than just sort of like penetrative intercourse? Um, I guess within my experience with this and thinking about sex, usually when early on in my journey through masculinity, sex was only thought of as intercourse. Okay. And it wasn't like foreplay, blowjobs, anything that was other, any other sexual acts was not really considered sex. But I think from, for some men, yes, it's like, there's this way of understanding like power within giving someone head or receiving head. And I think it's because like, I think men view it as like, oh, she won't want to do that. But if I make her do that or get her to do it or get her to do it, then it's like awesome or like it's better than sex. I don't, yeah. It's super gross. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's an important component in understanding this particular critique of grace coming from specifically men is that if we rank getting head or blowjobs as sort of like a higher degree of difficulty in sexual acts, then it's a twisted logic to think that if she's giving head, then it's easier to actually like do penis and vagina sex relative to giving head. So like, why wouldn't, what what did she expect? And that's a particular aspect of this. I think that's, we have to interrupt in a sense. Right. I read the article and the survivor basically said that she gave oral sex to Aziz and it almost seemed as the tone of the, the quote was basically out of like almost survival and out of just doing it. So then to avoid like further repercussions. 
There's a little bit of that. She mm-hmm. also sort of explicitly said that she felt pressured into doing it. Right. And at least in Colorado law, if you're pressured into doing something, that's not consent. Right. So she was right. feeling that level of pressure and she felt like in that moment she couldn't say no, which is a sort of another facet of the reaction is they, it's it's incredible. Not incredible. It's significant that a lot of the commenters, both men and women, really sort of attacked Grace's agency as a person. They were always like, if you're in a situation, you need to set boundaries. You need to leave right away. As soon as he rushed the check, that should have been a red flag to you. And you should have just said this and gotten out of there. You shouldn't have let him take your clothes off. Like they just kind of went at her ability to be in charge of her own actions. That works only if it's a level playing field. That's part of the difference here is there is way more critique on what she did than on what Aziz did. I don't think there's a baseline in the comments that what Aziz did was wrong. People used her not saying no as an excuse for not being able to claim this as sexual assault. So one of the questions is, why didn't she just say no and leave? She's not the one committing assault. So it's (laughs) like, it's never, I, I, I just go back to like, it's never their fault. And, and it's just like, I think it's almost a protection of, this figure if it were just a random man on the street they either would be like yes using this victim blaming language and maybe some people would be like no he needs to be in jail but the fact that it's aziz ansari i think changes the game a little bit i agree and i think the differential in power and recognizing that as an aspect of this interaction is very specific to the way women of color analyze situations like this. There are tons of self-proclaimed raging feminists who wrote an article saying, I want a society where women are able to stand up and say no and leave. I don't want one where I have to rely on men to do the asking and stuff like that, which is a very valid point. But I also think that's incredibly white feminist in terms of that perspective. And so the idea of Aziz being famous, of having a ton of money, they were in his apartment. He's the one that paid for dinner. He's the one that texted her first after they exchanged phone numbers. There's just a lot of factors here that we can't ignore when it comes to the situation. There are tons of reasons why women and maybe people in particular don't say no in the moment. And I think that's really hard for people to understand. And I think it comes from a place of either pure ignorance or of a place of even fear of your own experience, too. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the reasons why people, but maybe specifically women, wouldn't say no and leave? We should be explicit about this. So the first one is fear for one's safety. I think one of fear of like fear of safety or like thoughts of safety are involved just knowing the power dynamics between just men and women. It's just kind of how societal norms is like, okay, you have to do this out of survival. And that's either, yeah, the way that survivors possibly react to it or the way that they've felt like they've been conditioned to react to it. Right. There's no wrong way to survive. Like she did what she had to do to get out of the situation. Right. She actually did say no. (laughs) Right. People sort of conveniently ignore the fact in these reactions, she actually did say no. She 
said, let's slow down. She said, I'm feeling uncomfortable. She kept moving physically away from him. It seems like for most Mm -hmm. of the night. I also think there's an element here of like when you get excited for a date or gets excited to meet somebody. Especially if it's a famous fucking person. Yeah, right. It's okay to give him a lot of chances and it's okay not to recognize your own discomfort in the moment it it happens, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I also know like too many guys out there who sort of consciously and maybe unconsciously take advantage of that particular fact. And then when she did start to come into her body a little bit and be like, holy crap, she reacted saying like, all men are the fucking same. Someone who talks all the time about dating and some power between men and women and wants to do things the right way, at least publicly in Aziz, should have heard that and went, oh shit. Right. Because I'm not supposed to be like all men. Like that thought should have occurred to him. And instead he went in for another kiss. He even asked what that meant. And then it was more of an invitation, quote unquote, to kiss her again because she just turned around to answer and then he kissed her. And so it was like you're <laughs> enacting this just blatant ignorance and, and dishonesty to even people, even to the public about this. So, yeah. And nonverbal, like there was there was an article that started with something like Aziz Ansari is guilty, comma, of not being able to read minds. I think it was a New York, New York Times thing. But you don't. Like, that's such a lazy excuse for what's going on because she said that he, within a span of like five to 10 minutes, multiple times tried to move her hand to his penis. Okay. And she kept moving away. If you have to do that more than once, like, I mean, even once is problematic. Yeah. And so the fact that she over and over non-verbally, like it's a very viable action of saying no, like, I'm just, I'm not going to do what you're asking me with your hands is a way of saying no. Right. Right. And I think what we're sitting here with is for those, and there's another sort of like, well, what about mixed signals? And then that person was like, mixed signals suck. Sexual advances. I don't know what's the difference between a sexual advance now and sexual assault. And I'm just, that's, there's just so much missing from the foundation of how we're supposed to engage sexually, especially in heterosexual ways. Uh, I don't, it's, just, it's, it's mind boggling in terms of a move that's normal for men is to just go down on a woman in a heterosexual context, stay there for like 10 seconds and then ask for a blowjob and not stop once to ask if that's something that they want to do. And the fact that the survivor, Grace, she used the words forced and pressure yeah. to him, like like literally said those <laughs> two words to him and he did not either did not get the signal or was just blatantly ignored it. And... I think that's also a problem as well is that, and then the fact that he said, oh, we'll just hang out with our clothes on. Yeah. And he kind of baited her to, to the couch. Yeah. And then tried again. And it's just like, I was just like, uh, yeah, you it's, fu- it's you a tough her. read. Like, <laughs> yes. And here's the other thing. I'm guessing, total guess, that he often gets compliments about his marble countertops and always automatically says, well, why don't you sit here and then makes his move? And I'm yeah. guessing that that has worked to some consensual degree. I mean, it has to, it's consensual or not. That's worked consensually. And in those moments, it was obvious that the woman was into it and or there are women who haven't come forward. I'm guessing because that level of... This is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work. I don't have to worry about what she's saying and thinking. That level of comfort is another indication. Because there's a stat out there, Jake, about like 
rapists who are men typically have like an average of seven victims or something like that. And so this story is another one of those stories that reminds me that there's a certain game that men kind of run over and over and over again. And that reminds me a lot of the times that I was an undergrad and in high school, it was always like, we need to get alcohol and we need to have then back then I call them girls. We need to have girls over. And that was sort of the system that we tried to come up with in order to like maximize the chances for us getting laid or whatever. Right. And so then I think about how even this game is played through Aziz. Is it also being played through the way he shows up in media, in his life? Like, I was watching the videos within the article and they're both stand-up clips that he made of like uh, people in bars and then it was about feminism and it was just like he seemed to kind of have like a little knowledge around this and understanding around this and I was like either you ignoring this since because you can say you're trustworthy or you're not applying what you know about relationships and feminism and being a decent person to your sexual relationships, your emotional relationships, however he, I guess, interacted with especially women. And I don't know, just the fact that it all has been kind of wrapped and all related together is just mind boggling to me. Even like in Master of None, one of the his pretend co-workers in the show is accused of a bunch of sexual harassment and sexual assaults and he's just like blown away by that but is this almost i was just questioning is this almost the same exact thing but in his own life and does where does that scene come from and so yeah it's all seems to kind of connect with me in the media nerdy way (laughs) yeah and i struggle i struggle hard because there's obvious harm that has come of this person grace and aziz at least to some degree sort of apologized for the night but it was more of a if you were harmed my bad type of thing right if we and by we i mean you and i potentially or people who are sort of in the movement if we can't figure out a way to maybe not forgive aziz necessarily but not lose him as a potential um i don't know player in this movement some some potential to do good um i don't know i struggle a lot i think i might be alone a little bit in this idea but is there a path for aziz to like re-engage and be credible is that even possible with the way that we're sort of treating perpetrators because that's what he is i don't know i just i struggle a little bit with that yeah i get what you're saying i guess the initial thought goes to my head and you can disagree is that I think he needs to do a lot of work to really repair the harm right. that he's done. And yeah, we don't know if this is the only incident. Right. And I assume it's not. Yeah, That's, I would assume that I, too. I'm under the assumption it's not. And I think, yeah, he's got to do a lot of work to really get back to that. But I think, yeah, the fact that we might be missing him out as a valuable player, quote unquote, quote yeah. unquote, in this movement is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's doing a disservice to the movement or it could boost and empower the movement a little bit. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm having a tough time with it, but I think if he did repair the harm in ways that everyone in the movement can agree with, or at least least consider. Yeah. Or at least under Grace's, I don't know, wishes. Right. Then I think maybe we could get to a point where we can go, oh, he produced some content for us, or he did some activism work that we deem as cool. And he gets to be 
a part of this again, but I, I, I doubt that's going to happen. Right. Well, and, and it wouldn't necessarily be a part of this. Like right. we would never sign off on him as a man. Right. Like right. there, it, cause it's, it's just going to be sort of a lifetime of work. And that's part of the consequence of being a public figure like that is when something like this comes out and you were previously like named woke Bay or some crap by some entity. Mm-hmm. And then this comes out. It's has to be public forever work that isn't rooted in self-preservation and repairing his own image and doing it with the understanding that will never sort of let you in. And like you and I aren't the arbiters of who gets to be in and not right. in, but like the general sentiment around perpetrators in of sexual violence, it's you're out, man. Like you're not salvageable. And I don't know if that should be the case for every man. Right. I'm not trying to like implicate myself or whatever, but like I do think there ha- like we need to figure out if there is a path for Aziz that is positively impactful, specifically with other men. Like I think it's okay. Maybe that's maybe I just sort of found the answer is like it's not that he needs to win women back or whatever. He should just leave women alone for the rest of his life, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do know that part of his path showing some level of remorse apology i don't know how to publicly display self-reflection because who can trust anything he posts on facebook or instagram like i really you know it could all be an act like i don't so like i said i feel like there has to be a path for i don't know what to call it rehabilitation is such a colonized word i don't know what what else to call it though of of him to be able to like talk to other men and try to have impact so that other men don't do what he does. Yeah. Cause I don't, I'm still just, yeah, I'm still wondering whether this, all these issues that he tries to cover in the ways that he's produced his content and as a performer, as an artist. Yeah. Is it an act out of just like, Oh, I know like a lot of people are interested in this. This could be a way to have some really good money. Is this almost like a way to kind of jump on the train? If it's not that cool, I'll jump off the train or is it something he really believes in? So it's like, I think I'm having a, a difficulty with if he ever was considering himself part of the movement is that authentic if he claims he was but and all this is bullshit then i think then we might be wasting our time thinking about whether we sh- he should be i guess forgiven even though he's done something very unforgivable if it was inauthentic before is he allowed to be authentic about it now to right. what degree are we i mean we allowing again is another sort of we're possessing this whole thing but like to what degree do we allow aziz to like be authentically engaged in it now that he's learned potentially to be better and by we i mean men exercising social justice right we as men are responsible for aziz's actions it just really highlights the gap i feel like we have from the everyday dude to uh, i don't know i don't know i don't mean i don't know how to phrase it like i'm i'm guessing that there's a ton of men who engage in this in feminist work un, inauthentically. And then, uh, so are those dudes allowed to re-engage authentically? I don't know. I just, it's, I think it's a really tough question, but the, this is what, this is the accountability conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. what does accountability look like then for not Aziz himself, but for men like Aziz is all of this defensive Aziz that we're seeing online is that, 
something that men have a stake in because we theoretically have all been through a situation like Aziz's, thinking that that's the way sex is done. So I always, I'm always curious, like men who go out of their way to post to defend Aziz using excuses like he's not a mind reader or she was naked, so what she expect or mixed signals are hard. Those men have a stake in Aziz's innocence to some degree because they probably see as themselves in the description of that incident. I'm also thinking about if you remember what Aziz was doing, putting his fingers down her throat and yeah. naming that as the claw. The yeah. survivor named it as the claw. And you don't like, how do you just not think that's a prop? I just, I don't know. Just how do you not think that's a problem doing ever unless like. Yeah. And I think he thought it was asked. hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, weird, right? Like that might be hot for some women for him to just do that. And maybe he's gotten that response. Do you think he learned this from pornography? Um, I mean, it's a possibility. I don't know if we can ever draw a direct line or if we'll never know if there's a direct line between his behavior and attitudes as it relates to watching porn. But I think it's very possible. And just to to generalize it as a move and then keep doing it over and over and over and over again, I, I don't know how to recognize Aziz's humanity or if I should. I feel like it's almost right. dangerous at this point. And I think like the fact that you can see that in front of their face and you can see the facial expressions are pretty easy to read. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. easiest nonverbal to read. And so I feel like you just, if you do that, you lack a lot of emotional, emotional intelligence and, and empathy when doing that. Like you can physically see the person like either being really into it or uncomfortable. And if they're really uncomfortable, you should know just to stop. Like I just, it's just mind boggling to me, but yeah. That's where I'm at. Again, I'm trying not to defend disease here. I also know this idea of excitement. I don't know. There's just so much weight behind Aziz's actions. Mm -hmm. um, having that level of celebrity and money has to go to your head. It must be really tough to stay humble and maintain some level of humanity with that level of success. And then if you fuel that with all of the positive reaction he gets from saying, I'm a, like not... I mean, I don't, I don't follow him, follow him closely enough to know, but like the confidence boost he must get from being other proclaimed feminist, right? Mm -hmm. Opposed to self-proclaimed. He just must have felt infallible in that moment. And that's brutal. Men don't need that amount of fame and money to feel that way, which might be the scarier bit. I can imagine Aziz growing up sort of like an ugly duckling syndrome in terms of never getting attention, always being picked on. I don't know. I can imagine that. Right. And then when yeah. you come into this amount of fame and adoration and if dating comes easier because of that, it must be hard to not hard. I can see how your actions in the moment become clouded. I can see how you don't see your actions in the moment as problematic. I can see it. I'm not saying that there's any excuse for what he did. I 100% right. disagree and am legit angry about it. And he needs to do better in terms of apologizing and doing what he can or what he's asked of in terms of healing for the survivor. I just, I, I just don't know. I don't want to feel like I'm defending him, but I think we need to understand how he got to that point because breaking down how he got to that point will help us talk to men about why this keeps happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think to that point, like, I think 
it might be kind of ingrained into him based on like maybe identities that he holds or his upbringing. And you can kind of see it shown through like his show Master of None because it's kind of him reflecting a little bit on his past. And some, yes, yeah, some most, I would probably say, I want to say 50 to 60% of it's made up. But <laughs> the way kind of his cultural upbringing and is the way kind of masculinity has been portrayed, I think is accurate to where, yes, I guess the power that he sees that he either has or doesn't have is very clouded or blind to it and it might be coming from the way he was raised in america and how him as a like an asian man is like kind of uh emasculated and how he kind of maybe feels that way and so he had to kind of feel like he needed to empower himself through his gender but that's i guess that's a a theory that i might have around kind of where you're at with it too and so yeah i could see where it gets foggy i guess for him I yeah, I mean, it's just like, I can't imagine having to be more weary of, of us, of men who have some level of self-consciousness and critical ability around gender. I don't know how women do it. Like the case of Aziz is problematic, especially for women who are in the movement, because you might literally never know despite someone who's able to say the right things, do the right things outside of this one incident that we've heard of and still be encountered with that, that aspect, like Aziz using his platform, had the power he has in his platform to say this kind of stuff was probably another barrier that we need to consider for Grace to saying no, because like so unexpected, it can be really hard to recognize what's going on. And so I just, it's, that's, that's where it hurts. This is another example of how and why concepts around feminism is also going to save men. The story is another reason for us to like frame patriarchy as also hurting men. We're so blind to the harm that we're causing to other people, specifically women, that it makes everyone suspicious of us as men and they should be. And that's not a good starting point to build healthy relationships, which is something that we need to survive. And I also think like if there are folks listening out there and they think well we can't trust men now like yeah that's That's, yeah you can't like that's totally cool like don't trust men like i wouldn't trust myself um (laughs) i mean i think i would but (laughs) but i think if you're at that moment that's those feelings are super valid and i think even seeing that there's even groups out there that have done this as well men's project an earlier group than men in the movement at csu there's like i think a couple accounts of sexual assault from them and that was built out of trust and out of comfort from men saying it's okay i can i'm safe because i'm men's project yeah yeah Yeah. so i don't i mean it's weird to think and say like someone who hasn't come into some level of feminist consciousness at least it's easy for us to say he socialized be careful or traditionally socialized around masculinity be careful right it is much more complex and nuanced and harder to talk about how This guy's taken a bunch of women's studies courses and ethnic studies courses. He's shown up to take back the nights and Ben isn't as in men in the movement. I should feel better around this guy. It's cases like Aziz that remind me like we're not we should we have to continue to remember that we could be more dangerous in women's minds. And maybe we should be if we start constructing all of this stuff is we we did it men like we did it to ourselves. Like we're not to be trusted. And that means we need to work that much harder to gain that trust back. Right. And that might 
not happen in our life. It, sh- it won't happen in our lifetimes. And so we need to set future men up for success, if you will, by continuing to talk to men. This isn't about convincing women that we're okay. Right. That's far from the case. This is about recognizing where the fault is and going to that fault. And that fault is the behavior of men. Right. And I think and the silence of other men that surrounds that dangerous behavior. Because I think about how if we're doing that, if like you and I are talking to men and educating ourselves and other men about masculinities and social justice, then that's where the work is being done. And that's really good. And I don't think we should ever think that we have to put that emotional and mental burden on women to educate men about our own toxic masculinities and their own problematic masculinities. And I think like it comes with a level of trust that we have to trust the other person to take this knowledge and do something good with it. And also trusting the process that like these men like have been conditioned and socialized to act and think this way for a very long time. Like myself, I thought the friend zone was real until I was a sophomore in college. So it's not real. Yeah, it's not. obviously. (laughs) Um, And so I think if we're trusting men as men to do the work while still educating ourselves and talking, processing with each other, I don't think that needs to be really leave the space and put that emotional and mental burden on women. Yes, you can say what I'm, this work is not what I'm doing, but I need to stay humble. And and I think it's interesting when I get, for me, my example is like, people go, Oh, you're doing this work. That's so awesome. Like, yeah, it's it's all right. Whatever. Like I take it with a grain of salt. Cause then if I'm building up my ego, then I go, Oh, I'm Jake. I can do no harm when yes, I'm Jake and I can do harm. And it's in probably like a snap of the finger. It would be super easy to do. And so I think we have to trust ourselves and trust other men, but I don't expect women or any marginalized folks to trust men. And that's fine. <laughs> right. Also when men have been left to their own devices, we've really kind of screwed it up. And so just because we're not asking women to educate us doesn't mean we can't learn right. from women and their words and their actions. And any or most, I would say, men who are able to guide other men towards more healthy masculinities in some way, shape or form is benefiting from the knowledge produced by women. It's benefiting from the accountability that was held against us. I don't know what the right English phrasing here is, but um, any work that men do with other men around healthy masculinities, we are the beneficiaries of being held accountable by women for our behaviors, right? So we have to do this work also with the guidance of women and not also expect them to, or not put the burden on them to teach us how to do it, if that makes sense. It's hard mm-hmm. in the podcast sense of hard, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Should we reiterate the podcast sense of hard for the people? So for us, breaking down and deconstructing masculinities is a hard process for men, but it's nowhere near it as hard as the processes and the experiences and the feelings of those that have been oppressed and mm-hmm. are being oppressed. So I don't have to worry about walking home at night. That's, I just walk home. I don't have to worry about the police, really. I don't have to be afraid. But there are people out there that really are afraid of walking home alone at night. There's people that are afraid of the police every day like that. Those are real experiences. And the fact that us men in here don't are not always afraid or don't have experiences or don't have to have these experiences is a level of, I guess, hard because we're almost ignorant to the other hard experiences. Right. So, Carl, what did we learn today? Um, I think I struggle more than most about where to put 
people and cases like Aziz in my mind and in the, in the movement. I think I might be alone because it's really, really easy to just call him trash and not think or talk about him again. But that doesn't actually change who he is as a person. And he, more than most men that I've come across, at least is able to say stuff that sounds aware about gender and what it means to be a man in today's society. I don't know if I'll ever come to that conclusion. And I also know that me just putting it down and not worrying about it and just saying, fuck this guy, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with him. That is a bit of an indulgement of privilege. Men like Aziz are kind of inaccessible to me. Like I don't, I can't DM him and be like, Hey, you want to talk about masculinity? Like (laughs) what are we supposed to do about this? (laughs) You need to give me an answer about where to put you in the movement. That's not viable. So I can relate closer to stuff in men in the movement, right? Like there have been men in the movement guys who have been accused of sexual violence in the past. And there's easy procedural things of like, you can't come to a meeting until this gets sorted out. And then I, we, I mean, it's imperfect. I don't, I don't know if there's no solid answer here in terms of what we do, but it's more like we have to protect the center and its image. And if there's a men in the movement guy that's going through the title nine process, we can't be associated with that. It would discredit the program itself. And so we do have have some like baseline procedures around men who are accused or in men movement, but uh, sort of outside of official university processes, I think internally we engage in it when it happens. And we, I think we kind of take it case by case, but man, it's just, it's a really tough spot to be in when you have faith and understanding in a guy who is willing to do the work. And then we hear that they sexually assault someone. We go, what the, what the hell, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever re-entered the men in the movement space after being accused. You know what? They haven't re-entered the men in the movement space after they've been accused. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not engaged. Um, it's just kind of like they can't engage on this campus. Uh, I don't, it's, so, it's so hard, man. I don't, I don't know what to do with guys like Aziz. How about you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with what you just said. And I think also about who are we almost imagining, like going back to the episode of Continuum of Harm, is that... We only picture, well, I guess for me, a lot of it's like, who is a rapist? And we picture either it's a criminal or it's someone that looks like Harvey Weinstein or it looks like someone like Ben Affleck or just a strenuous name, names of white dudes and especially these famous white dudes. And so then when it comes to Aziz Ansari, it just seems like a different case because it's, well, one, he's not white. To he's he seems kind of like a dude that's a little more aware around gender and social justice and a little a little better of a person <laughs> in media <laughs> in my head and then so then it comes to this and it's just shocking in a way that's like oh well like I trusted you to be a decent person but you're doing the things that any shitty person is doing and so it's almost hard to be like I want I don't want to forgive him at, at all but. I want him, I at least want to see someone try to repair the damage. And I think he would be a decent person to do it. But I also think he, he won't or he, he can't. I don't know. There's there's just some, yeah. a level of optimism that I have with him for some reason. And I think it's because of his status and where he shows up and maybe the influence that he has on other men like myself. And so I think it's hard to pinpoint like an example of who can do harm and how will they do it. But I think if you're seeing this in the media, it's these people are doing harm and I'm not excusing myself from it either. But I think as a man that I've grown to understand and have these a little less of a numbness to these these violent acts and have a little better level of consciousness around this and a higher level of consciousness around violence and around social justice to the point where it's like 
I almost even expect it just from any man in the media to do this certain thing, but I didn't expect it from Z Aziz. So it was almost like ingrained in my whiteness a little bit of like, Oh, that's like John Hamm. I bet he did something sketchy. <laughs> like, but for Aziz, he just seemed as this like super like nice and almost like kind of cute guy card. And it basically escaped me and go, Oh yeah, he wouldn't have done that. And then he did. And it was like, Oh shit. And so the way we think about violence about men gets skewed. Word. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even let us do this podcast thing. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Peace. It comes off of Hannah saying you all should talk about good stuff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, fuck all men. Don't trust us. <laughs> I think it's important, though. <laughs> like, uh...